welcome to another edition of the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collins. And today we're going to take a look at James Blunt. Now, it's only a small show, so it's a four-truck show, which isn't too big. It's not too small either, but it's not that big. We have three giant screens, which are arced at the front of the stage. We have some ladder trusses at the back of the stage with uh, lots of moving head washers and we have some good a good amount of uh, PA system on the uh, line arrays so you've got the standard line arrays at the front and you have the uh, 45 degree line arrays either side of the stage to give the surround sound effect it's a seated concert although they have mojo barriers in front of the stage this is just to be on the safe side in case uh, you've got some really enthusiastic old dears who uh, want to go up and um, molest them in some way or another. I say molest, no, they're just super fans. It's just to keep a little bit of distance. I don't see uh, anything like that ever happening. Well, not with a show like this, I have to say. At the back of the stage, you have a nice blue velvet backdrop. So, yeah, nice. Very nice and, um, how can I put it, old-fashioned. But it works well with his kind of show. The drums are on a riser at centre stage at the back and pretty high up actually. We're talking about at least uh, one and a half metres off the uh, bottom of the stage. You have the bass guitar to the right of the drums and you have the keys to the left of the drums. And I suppose the rest of the uh, band is James Blunt at the front of the stage. At the front, at the very front of the stage, you've got a whole row of uh, front fills, which are just small tweeters at regular intervals, as well as having the monitors pointing back onto the stage. And you have 10 subs in the pit, so just behind the mojo barrier. So a nice amount of uh, noise on there. Now we know the basic setup. We're going to take a look at James Blunt's history in a nutshell. We'll be back after this. The name's Vert. Percival Reginald Vert, and I run the PR Vert Detective Agency. The year is 2055, and the police have been defunded. So if you need a police investigation, the police will charge you a thousand big ones a day. Because of this, the government introduced the PI Act, where the private investigators can undercut the police so justice can become affordable. These are my case files. Percival Vert is no hero. He is a low-life scumbag and the full embodiment of how not to be a man. He cheats his way into getting work, he objectifies women and is quite a disgusting human being, if you can even call him that. Gumshoe is intended to poke fun at everyone that takes life too seriously and directly towel whips the modern day Puritans in the balls because they have forgotten the fact that when something isn't funny in real life, it's probably hilarious in the land of fiction. Come and listen to Gumshoe every Wednesday. The links are in the description below. James Hillary Bluant, born 22nd of February 1974, better known as James Blunt, is an English singer, songwriter, musician and record producer. A former reconnaissance officer in the Lifeguards Regiment of the British Army, he served under NATO during the 1991 Kosovo War. After leaving the military, he rose to fame in 2004 with the release of his debut album Back to Bedlam, achieving worldwide fame with the singles You're Beautiful and Goodbye My Lover. He's listed as pop rock, folk rock, folk pop and soft rock. And he plays guitar, 
keyboards, piano, organ, ukulele, and he's recorded under Custard Records and Atlantic Records. Whilst he was in the British Army, his top rank was Captain, and his service number was 547098 from the Lifeguards, and he uh, saw action in the Kosovo War. Blunt's first album has sold over 11 million copies worldwide, topping the UK Albums Chart and peaking at number 2 in the US. Your Beautiful was number 1 in the UK, the US and a, do and a dozen other countries. Back to Bedlam was the best selling album of the 2000s in the UK and is one of the best selling albums in UK chart history. By 2013, Blunt has sold over 20 million albums worldwide. He has received several awards, including two Brit Awards, winning Best British Male in 2006, two MTV uh, Video Music Awards, and two Ivan Novello Awards, as well as receiving five Grammy Award nominations and an honorary doctorate in music in 2016 from the University of Bristol. James Blunt is from a military family, so his father, his father is Colonel Charles Bluant. He was a cavalry officer in the 13th and 18th Royal Hussars and then a helicopter pilot and colonel of the Army Air Corps. And various members of his family are uh, listed as being in the military all the way up to the 10th century. Blunt grew up primarily in, in St Mary, Bourne, Hampshire, but moved every two years depending on his father's military postings around England. He was educated at Elstree School in Wolverhampton and then Harrow School in the Harrow-on-the-Hill area of London, gaining A-levels in physics, chemistry, economics. He went on to study aerospace manufacturing, engineering and sociology at the, at the University of Bristol, graduating in 1996 with a BSc Honours in Sociology. Like his father, Blunt was a pilot and gained a fixed-winged private pilot license at the age of 16. He also developed a keen interest in motorbikes around this time. Having been sponsored through university on an, uh, on an army bursary, Blunt was committed to serve a minimum of four years in the armed forces. He trained at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst in intake 963 and was commissioned into the lifeguards of a reconnaissance regiment. He rose to the rank of captain. The lifeguards, part of the Household Cavalry Regiment, were primarily based in, in Combermere Barracks. Blunt was trained in British Army Training Unit Suffield in Alberta, Canada, where his regiment was posted for six months in 1998 to act as opposing army in combat training exercises. In 1999, Blunt volunteered to join a Blues and Royals squadron deploying with NATO to Kosovo, initially assigned to carry out reconnaissance in the North Macedonia-Yugoslavia border. Blunt's troop worked ahead of the front lines, locating and targeting Serbian forces for the NATO bombing campaign. On the 12th of June 1999, the troop led the 30,000-strong NATO peacekeeping force from the North Macedonia border towards Pristina International Airport. However, a Russian military contingent moved in and taking control of the airport. Before his unit's arrival, American NATO commander Wesley Clark ordered that the unit forcibly take the airport from the Russians. General Mike Jackson, the British commander, refused the order, telling Clark that they were not going to start World War III for you. Blunt has said that he would have refused to obey such an order if General Jackson had not blocked it. During Blunt's Kosovo assignment, he had brought along his guitar strap to the outside of his tank and would sometimes perform for locals and troops. Bloody hell. <laughs> He'd strap his guitar to the tank. <laughs> He's lucky he didn't get shot up. 
It was while on duty that he wrote the song No Bravery. Blunt extended his military service in November 2000 and was posted to the Household Cavalry Mounted Regiment in London as a member of the Queen's Guard. During this posting he was featured on the television programme Girls on Top, a series highlighting unusual career choices. He stood guard at the coffin of the Queen Mother during the lying in state and was part of the funeral procession on 9th of April 2002. A keen, a keen skier, Blunt captained the Household Cavalry Alpine Ski Team in Verbier, Switzerland, becoming the Royal Armoured Corps Giant Slalom Champion 2000. He left the army on the 1st of October 2002 having served 6 years. So James Blunt's discography is Back to Bedlam in 2004, All the Lost Souls in 2007, Some Kind of Trouble in 2010, Moon Landing in 2013, The Afterlove in 2017, Once Upon a Mind in 2019. Touring wise he's done Back to Bedlam World Tour 2005-2006, All the Lost Souls Tour in 2008-2009, Some Kind of Trouble Tour in 2011-2012, Moon Landing World Tour 2014-2015, The Afterlove Tour 2017-18, Once Upon a Mind Tour in 2020, The Stars Beneath My Feet Tour which is this year in 2022. He's also supported Alton John in 2004, The Secret Migration Promo Tour, Peachtree Road Tour for Alton John in 2004, Full Tour 2005 for Jazz Marrows, 2008 Summer Tour for Cheryl Crow, and Percentage Tour for Ed Sheeran in 2017. So a nice varied career there for James Blunt. We'll be back after this. A tribute to men that hate their jobs is a brutal but witty portrayal of working a job you hate. In this podcast there are themes explored in which happy workers simply wouldn't understand unless they listen to these cautionary tales from a man that lost his ideal job because of the global pandemic. Be warned that this podcast contains strong offensive language that some listeners may not want to hear. In addition, this podcast is definitely not recommended for younger audiences. The links for this is in the description below. Supporting James Blunt today is Gavin James. Gavin Wigglesworth, known professionally as Gavin James, is an Irish singer-songwriter. In March 2013 and March 2016, he won the Choice Music Prize Irish Song of the Year Award. Gavin was born in Dublin on the 5th of July 1991, oh he's a little baby, and grew up in a household surrounded by music. Gavin's dad would play Cat Stevens, Sam Cooke and Bob Dylan whilst his sister Emma sang and, and toyed with a musical in Ireland. James's great grandparents were opera singers and his grandfather was, stand, was a stand-up comedian and whistler. Oh, so he was set up for life, I suppose, in the entertainment industry. <laughs> James began playing music on a rock band at the age of eight and writing his own songs. The rock band was short-lived after a falling out over an alleged paranormal experience. However, James continued to perform solo, playing numerous gigs for years and building his audience. By age 21, he had begun focusing on his songwriting and playing open mic nights. 
In 2013, James independently released the single Say Hello, which won the Media Choice Award for Song of the Year. By 2015, James had signed deals with Sony in Europe and Capitol Records in, Uma in America. Okay, so let's ha take a look at his discography. So he released Bitter Pill in uh, 2016. He released Only Ticket Home in 2018 and Boxes in 2020. So, and he's got a few live albums. So he's got Live at the Wheelands, which he released in 2015. And he's got extended plays for Remember Me in 2014, For You in 2015, and he's done remixes for For You in 2015. So let's have a look at his singles. So Say Hello in 2012, The Book of Love in 2014, For You in 2015, Bitter Pill, and 22 in 2015. 2016 he had Nervous, the Ooh song, Mark McCabe remix. He also had in 2017, I don't know why, and Hearts on Fire. 2018 he released Always and Glow. 2019 he released Faces and 2020 he released Boxes. In 2016 he also did Fairy Tale of New York and have yourself a merry little Christmas. So nice little eclectic mix of different types of stuff. And yeah, two Christmas songs. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> well, he did two different versions of Christmas songs, but not his own. But still, a different version is a different version. Beats are listened to the same versions on the radio. So now we've had a little bit of intel on Gavin James. We're going to get back to the Motor Point Arena on the installation of the show. We'll be back after this. 30 Years Since is a sci-fi story podcast which is full of dramatical moments and a bit of gratuitous violence. The first series was originally done in first person. So it, the character is just telling a monologue. And then the second series and onwards became more third person so it was more of an in-depth story and uh, you have all the characters actually interacting with each other great set of sci-fi stories so 30 years after an alien invasion which uh, the humans lost and the first story arc is now over though we've got plenty more story arcs left to tell from the land of 30 years since. So why not check it out? The links are in the description below. And we're back. So quite literally, the stage is near enough set. The screens are just being adjusted at the front of the stage, um, which are just getting focused and positioned, and then they're gonna winch them right up to the top. So once they're up, because the height of the roof of the Motor Point Arena is lower than most arenas, you won't see you won't see the lights and the ladders at the back of the stage. The screens are just completely masters. Whereas if they, whereas if they're in other arenas with a bigger grid with a bigger grid height, you'll see all three screens and then you'll see the ladder trusses with the lights. You've got a handful of blinders, and they're all ready to go. Every light is focused and plumbed in. The mojo barrier is all installed 
and what's left to do is drape the stage and, and finish putting out the seats and then the sound check will go ahead soon enough. Now it's nearly 2pm on show day and the screens have now been winched up into the air although it looks like there's something slightly wrong with some cabling because all the uh, screens are all gone blurry and fuzzy as though they're being interfered with but that's definitely going to be uh, to do with a dodgy cable somewhere between the uh, media server and the screens themselves so it won't take that long for them to fix it and they should definitely have some spare cabling I don't believe it's to do with the media server or the processor because it was all working before they winched it up so they probably pinched the cable now what they've done now is um, they're just testing with a reset of the screens so they've just gone off now they come back on they've got the same issue so one would assume from being a technician that it's definitely going to be down to uh, a bit of the cabling but where that piece of cabling is one can only hazard a guess so what they're going to have to do is run a uh, different set of cables to uh, fault find so what they need to do next is to run the, a, a different cable from the media server to the first screen and test it that way if it's uh, still fuzzy then it's to do with a connection on the uh, within the media server if it's not fuzzy or one of the screens is not fuzzy and the rest of the screens are fuzzy then it's to do with the cabling at the back of the screens but these screens are done it are built in different sections so finding a damage between the link between one of the links and the screens would be hard although because the uh, fuzziness is between the media server and the first screen I would rule out any of the screen links we would know that the uh, media server is fine and we would also know that the screens are fine and there we go they've uh, kind of fixed it and then it fuzzed up again so someone's wiggling a cable but what we do know is that there is a dodgy connection between the media server which they know is working and the first screen which they know is working and they've just wiggled a cable and they've what they've done now is they've actually worked out which cable needs replacing the screens have gone off because they're replacing that cable now if you don't have another cable there is one way around doing this it's not preferred but if you don't have a spare cable you find the good point on the wiggle and then you uh, gaffer tape the cable in place against something so it stays put and you order a new cable to arrive at the next venue that you're at <laughs> it's, it's not preferred but it happens and I've had to do that before it's just one of those things but on a tour like this you definitely have at least a couple of spare cables you can't guarantee what will happen with the wear and tear but that's so that problem's now resolved and uh, it was pretty much an easy way to determine what was the problem anyways we will be having a look at the show very shortly and we'll be back after this So not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts, but we also have a series of books. The first book is actually two books, it's volume one and volume two, of a tribute to working at sea. The best fiction is based on truth. This is a compilation of short stories, rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship. Some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated, whilst other stories are pure fiction. The title of the book, A Tribute To, 
is fitting with the tone of the book because, like a tribute act, it is a blatant altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle and the links for all of these books are in the description below. And we're back. So I've just had a look at Gavin James's show. Now, Gavin James started in silhouette from uh, four backlights, nicely positioned from the uh, ladder trusses. And as soon as he began to sing, his follow spot picked him up. Well, it should have picked him up, it was late, unfortunately. Sometimes these things happen. You might just not be yet quick enough on the follow spot. Although these are robo spots, so you're not uh, overlooking the stage um, in the auditorium. You could be anywhere in the wings, backstage, in the corridor, wherever there's a little bit of space, depending on where the room is. But that's just how it goes sometimes. You can't always be accurate. Although, um, from my own personal experience, as being a full spot operator many, many years ago, I was a marksman, so I never missed a target. Although, Yet again, I've never used a robo spot, so swings and roundabouts, I have to say, swings and roundabouts. Now, Gavin James, he has a very large vocal range. I mean, he goes from mid-low right up to falsetto, and when he does his falsetto, it is not strained at all, and he has absolute control over that power. Sometimes when someone falsettos, like, ah! It, like that for example they just can't hold it they strain their voice but no Gavin James's falsetto was absolutely spot-on every time as though it was a uh, CD recording although he was playing live and I can guarantee he was playing live he has absolute control on that falsetto as a support artist his pattern between songs was it was aimed at getting the crowd going and he deliberately made the crowd go by you know winding him up in a good way you know come on give me a cheer if you like James Blunt cheer if you like this song and the audience they were lapping up they loved it and when he started the arena was like 40% full and by the time his set finished it was 75% uh, full so that's a good uh, range of people coming in during his set and what I noticed during this the uh, audience were getting louder and louder with the applause obviously because more people coming in and uh, as soon as the song's finished there's more people chorusing the applause it was great to see especially after having a uh, seven week lockdown well a seven week effective lockdown well a lockdown in all but name where we couldn't open up so nice, nice to hear that again after seven long weeks. One thing I noticed about Gavin James, because I don't know anything about him really, I don't know his songs by name, but I pretty much recognised every single song he was singing, obviously from Radio Play. Now, not being a Gavin James fan, I, would, I just don't know the names of the songs, but every time he started to sing, I'm like, yep, yeah, I know that song, yep, yeah, I know that song, just from being on the radio, being on TV and whatnot, 
always using background songs on the TV as far as I'm aware and uh, yes commercial radio as well as uh, adverts on YouTube as well you hear it all the time the lighting for Gavin James's set was kept basic it had a handful of LED uh, units from the back trusses only a small amount of them because uh, they didn't want to ruin the effect of James Blunt's main show he had some uh, side lights from the floor and a little bit of front light from the floor as well so it looked good it looked bait although even though it was basic it was done nice and constructively all the uh, all the lights that were used they were used very well so he had about 25% of all of the uh, lights on the stage it, it looks good visually it looks pretty good for uh, being a basic lighting setup and when I say basic lighting setup you had all the uh, lights pretty much in the same position they had changed the washers they changed the spots to uh, give different colors and a little bit of a go by breakup and yeah and it just worked really well VT wise you had his name up on the bottom of each uh, screen and extreme close-ups using the front cameras bit of side camera and uh, even the back camera and there's a camera at the back of the stage which gives a nice little view from the drum riser from James Blunt's drum riser shall we say it gives a nice little view into the audience and every time the cameras pointed into the audience you had people go and loving it as well because they've seen themselves on the big screen it looks good, especially with a few of the visual effects on there. Although they didn't go heavy on those effects because uh, those are obviously being reserved for uh, James Blunt. Now the clarity of the sound was is great. You couldn't ask for a better uh, noise engineer to be honest. You could hear every distinct instrument and nothing was competing with each other. It was just perfect within the mix. And uh, when you uh, add that into the mix for the vocals, it just... It just felt very smooth and um, it felt very smooth and easy to listen to there was absolutely no feedback whatsoever which is amazing love a show that goes absolutely perfect without feedback and it was very easy on the ears very easy on the ears not effect heavy which is great because i love vocals without effects just a little bit of reverb to wet up his voice so yeah it was very good very good and refreshing to listen to that. Now, how did the audience uh, like their performance? Well, they were his fans. Not only did they have James Blunt fans in there, but they definitely had Gavin James fans in there. And as I said earlier on, as the arena was filling up, the applause was getting louder and louder after every song. And especially where uh, he was doing the audience participation by asking them directly, do you love this? Do you love that? and you know just asking direct questions where they're just screaming and cheering on it was great it was great and we'll be back after this if you're a singer a musician a cabaret artist dancer actor and you want to promote your show or promote yourself and you want to have a conversation you could do this by coming on our show the email address to contact me is masterxmedia1983 at gmail.com and come on our show and we're back at the top of the show the command to lose the uh, workers was as soon as 
the song Ghost Town had finished and it was a snap to black and it stayed blacked out for an extended intro for for Breathe by obviously James Blunt and this uh, extended intro had a uh, countdown and then as soon as the countdown finished the uh, song Breathe started properly and he ra- and James Blunt ran out onto the uh, stage from stage right with his guitar kind of like one of the uh, dodgy uh, guitar moves that Michael J Fox did in the original Back to the Future movie but yeah it worked well it worked well <laughs> the crowd loved it I have to say at the back of the stage, ladder trusses, which were up high, they uh, they were winched down during the blackout. And as James Blunt came on the stage, they all did a nice bit of flash and trash and whatnot. And as soon as the uh, as soon as James Blunt's vocal started, the uh, ladder trusses just flew up and retrimmed to a decent height. And they uh, adjusted height throughout the entire show. So when I say trim it's technical term for the uh, trusses going to a different dead which is yet again another technical term a dead is uh, a set height so you have the upper dead you have the lower dead you have the middle dead and any other dedicated deads on there so uh, dead one dead two dead three dead five however they labeled it up that's how it goes now what i noticed as well the reason why the ladder trusses were in the position they were because they were arced to mirror the uh, front screens as well so it makes a nice little hexagon above the stage so not only with the arc of the uh, ladder trusses and the uh, re-trimming you also had a shed load of uh, moving light washers on there so they were able to make some interesting shapes especially when the uh, arena was full of haze and it looks amazing actually it really did simple but very but very effective we we do slight different positions of the trusses like that it does give a real good effect and an easy and cheap effect because at the end of the day these trusses are on motors they can either be faster motors they can be slow motors it doesn't matter but it's a nice free effect because you've essentially got to pay for the uh, motor winches anyways to get the trusses in the air so it has a nice little, uh, it has a nice little element to uh, the visual, uh, to the visual display of the show. And another thing that I loved as well is that blue velvet backdrop. It's basically a nice velvet drape, and because of the uh, material, velvet just reflects light, something chronic. And when you're lighting it with reds and purples and pinks and blues as well it just gives off a nice little uh, reflection and depending on where where you're looking onto one of the crinkles of the velvet it just gives a nice depth and even more shape to the overall work performance at one point during the show James Blunt made a comment that all his uh, softer songs were always performed the loudest because everyone sings to them and this was true in every single case of all these softer songs he was having to sing louder to get louder than the crowd who were singing along. And it was a very good observational point, I have to say. <laughs> it did make sense. It definitely did. Now, and I can back this up because at, at certain points during the show, I'd have to leave uh, my little control room and uh, go walk around with decibel meters just to make noise readings. And it, yes, you got a three to four decibel difference between a loud song 
and a quiet song and the quiet songs were three to four decibels loud and loud songs purely for the fact that people are singing on top of it now the visual mixing on the screens not only did not only did you have the camera angles where where it was vision mixing between the two cam between various cameras, but you also had the uh, graphics on top of that as well. And at one point, you also had some uh, good visual effects where you had the song "I Really Want You," and you had all the lyrics come up in time with the tune. Now there's a few ways you could do this. Way number one, which is uh, very low tech, which they would, which they definitely wouldn't have done on this, because of the quality of the screens, the LED quality of the screens. If you can afford that, you can afford to do the other methods. But the cheap method would be to have all the uh, lyrics on different slides and a clicker, and you just click through or hit the uh, click button, and you'll just have someone click through it. Now that's a cheap version of it, which really you don't want to do on a show like this maybe if you was in a school uh, show or um, you're doing a very low budget show in a pub you'd do that way but you've got way number two which is you pre-program it all the slot you pre-program all the slides onto the uh, video uh, onto the media server and you sync it with the click track being sent from the desk via the time code so as soon as the uh, sound desk fires off a certain time the uh, time code reader on the on the media server recognizes that and it fires every slide in time to the pre-programmed time code and that is the more expensive version of it it's not too expensive though in this day and age because you've had time code for quite some time but for it to go get synced up to the video in that way it, it works really really well or you can just play or the other one would be you just have a complete video file of it and the video file is synced up on timecode to fire as well so various different ways of doing it I would like to believe that the media server was uh, had a video file that was synced up via the timecode to the sound desk but yeah there's many different ways you can do it and that would have been the easier way with the budget that this show actually has now the sound quality of James Blunt's show just like Gavin James's show it was perfect there was absolute clarity you could hear every single drum from the drum kit in perfect balance you had the keyboard in perfect harmony with the drums you had james blunt's piano in perfect harmony with the keys and the drums you had the bass guitar in perfect harmony with the keys the drums james blunt's piano and you had james blunt's vocals and guitar in perfect harmony with everything else so it was very well balanced and it's just mixed very very uniquely and perfectly there's no other way to describe it i mean you can have you can have other people who just do a mix yeah it's acceptable but to this level of intricacy within within hearing little bits so for example with the with a drum bit of drum solo the main part of the drum solo would be yet uh, more forward and prominent than the rest of the drums and the rest of the instruments that are playing at the same time. Same with the guitars. So as soon as there's a guitar solo, it became more prominent uh, within the mix. And it was just all these little in intricacies that really, really works. As though, same way as uh, a CD recording and a very well produced song within the studio, but this was done live. 
and there are uh, there are nice boys that I personally know you can do this to an even better degree even though the um, even though the head of noise on this show was absolutely superb money wise you just couldn't do better for the money that this guy was getting paid on this on a budget of this show you just couldn't ask for a better person absolute joy to listen to uh, on a technical level now how did the audience react there are his fans they loved it of course they goddamn loved it of course they loved it uh, <laughs> you you couldn't ask for a better reception to be honest especially when people been hungry for entertainment especially when shows got rescheduled and whatnot and this was a rescheduled show from earlier on in uh, 2020 and 2021 it was all completely rescheduled so people were hungry for this show and they love seeing their favorite artists and when you're a james blunt fan and you've been waiting for this show you're gonna love it throughout the whole show it was a seated show you had everyone standing and dancing standing and swaying in time to the music a seated show where everyone was standing you don't get that all, all too often i mean you get pockets of people doing that uh from from show to show that seated but this show everyone was up on their feet singing dancing swaying and if you were allowed to smoke in the arena still in this day and age you'd have everyone with their zippo lighters lit flaming up in the air which you can't do anymore so it's always now the mobile phones which is the modern which is the modern flaming zippo it was brilliant everyone was there loved it the atmosphere was amazing and James Blunt put on a perfect show for his audience and they loved it. They all fed off each other. James Blunt fed off the audience and the audience fed off James Blunt. It was such a mutual understanding that you just couldn't go wrong. This show was definitely value for money for a James Blunt fan. Me, you wouldn't get me watching a show like this on my own time because I'm not a James Blunt fan. But I can appreciate the fact that why his, uh, why his fans loved him. He plays superb. He sings superb. And from a uh, songwriting point of view, the songs are very well written and composed. Why don't I like James Blunt? Well, I'm just not a James Blunt fan. Yeah, you know, he's Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. I'm a, I'm a more of a fan of heavy metal or uh, folk music, or even down as far as opera. I'm, I've got a very eclectic taste, but unfortunately james blunt doesn't do it for me although there's nothing wrong with james blunt now before i head off i'm gonna go i'm gonna go through the set list so you started off with breeze and you had wise man carry you home adrenaline the greatest goodbye my lover hi smoke signals i really want you love under pressure postcards say long jimmy same mistakes monsters because i love you you're beautiful stay the night and the last song was okay and you had two bonus songs from on the encore which is bonfire heart and 1973 every song on this playlist was loved by absolutely everyone if you've enjoyed today's podcast please give us a like subscribe and share and we will catch you next time bye for now